Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Our Old Testament lesson is from Genesis chapter 9. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. We are talking about transformation and my pulpit got transformed this morning when it lost a wheel. So it's a little wobbly. I'm trying not to lean on it, make it do anything, but here we are. Uh, gospel lesson is from Gospel of Mark. Uh, this will be the third time we've had uh, some of these words. We read a part of this back in Advent, just before Christmas, uh, and, and read a little bit of it again early in January on the baptism of Jesus Sunday, and we get again uh, these words. This is the beginning of Mark's Gospel, Jesus' baptism, but uh, the past readings we haven't continued beyond the baptism, and so now we will go beyond that a little bit to uh, Jesus' time in the wilderness and uh, the rest of John the Baptist. So hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words of Mark's gospel. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am very pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Now we started with reading the end of 
of the Noah story. And I, I find the Noah's, Noah's story to be really a, a terrible story. It's a story of destruction. Uh, and I don't understand why it's become such a cherished children's story. Children's books about it. You can buy children's toys for Noah and the Ark, and buy Noah and the Ark paintings to put in uh, in children's rooms in their bedrooms. And it is, it is. I mean, as we kind of read the, the part that we read here, it is the story of God saving some lives, animals, Noah's family. But at the time that God is saving those few lives. God sending the floods to destroy everything else. All, all of the surface of the earth, at least according to the story here. Destroying everything. God is so angry at humanity's sin that God destroys everything other than Noah's family, even an awful lot of animals. And when we read that story, I, I think... It's so easy to get to the part about the floodwaters coming and, and to just say them and go past them as though we're kind of reading a, a shopping list and not taking a moment to pause and think about what that means, that God sent the waters to flood the earth and destroy everything. We don't think to take a pause and contemplate that. And uh, you know, I don't believe, I don't believe that the story literally happened. I don't think the Noah story is true in a in a factual, historical sense. I think it's 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 not. It, it's it's out of character for God, for one thing. I think, at least at some level, out of care, out of character for God. And I think it also reflects the point of view and issues of, of people thousands of years ago when the story was first being told and retold and passed down. And, and there's no archaeological evidence for a worldwide catastrophic flood five, 6,000 years ago. But there is some archaeological evidence of flooding in the Mideast about that time. This could very well be a story that began with flooding numerous floods uh, five, 6,000 years ago, and those stories get passed down. And if you've ever played the telephone game, you know that as we tell stories, we embellish them, we change them, they go from person to person to person to person, and they get, and they get changed. I'm sure that's part of what happened here. And I think also these stories are coming out at a time when people were worshiping God or gods, multiple gods and thought of the gods as being in control of things, didn't have maybe a sense of nature as its own entity, and so floods happen, destruction happens, and they have to think, well, why is this? And often, the reason they would come up with is, well, the gods are doing this, and then the question, well, why are they doing that? And usually, well, we must be doing something wrong. We must have done something to annoy God or annoy the gods to make them upset. And we still hear that kind of thinking today. I don't think that's a, a helpful way to think about God. You know, think of when we have uh, natural disasters now, there'll still be the Christian leaders that will come out and blame it on 
you know, Hurricane Katrina was because of the sin of New Orleans or uh, the you know, shootings are because of our, some kind of sin or the sin in this place or that place deserved it, that it was always, these are God's punishment and not just natural disasters. You know, that's, that's the kind of thinking that's stuck in a, a Noah's Ark kind of ancient understanding. I don't think God punishes doesn't send natural disasters to punish. But even without belief in literal truth in, the, in this Noah's Ark story, we still have the story. It's in our text. It's in the scripture that we call holy. We still have it. We still pass down that story, and, uh, and we need to deal with it or come up with something around it. And one thing that I see it was partly in, in what we read here today and in the verses even just before this, is that there is some redemption in this Noah's Ark saga. We're talking of transformation this Lent season, transforming our souls, hearts, community, church, whatever. And part of transformation is repentance, which means simply to turn around. It doesn't mean to flog yourself or to be filled with self-doubt or anguish. It just means to turn yourself around to a more godly way to turn ourselves from sin, which simply means to miss the mark, to have not aimed correctly. So it's just to turn around from wherever we're going in an unholy or an ungodly way. And there is in this story a transformation of God. As I see it, I think God has God's own transformation moment here. Whether it's literally true or not, there is in the text a transformation that God goes through. Because at the beginning, before God comes to Noah, God is starting to get angry. Humanity is sinful, and wicked, and evil. God is angry at humanity for all of its sins and all of its wicked ways. And, and God's anger seethes and seethes and the rage builds up like water behind a dam. Until it bursts in life-destroying, watery death. And I bet that felt good. God probably had a moment where that just felt really, really good to let all of that anger out, which can feel good to us sometimes, to let that anger out, like throwing a plate at a spouse or punching the guy that's offending you or flipping off the guy in traffic or insulting a loved one. And because you love them, you know them well, and so you can insult them in that one place that's going to hurt them the most. It's going to really tear them down and it feels so good in that moment to just let that anger out. But as good as succumbing to that anger feels in the moment, it is often followed with remorse. You've probably felt that as well. Moment of remorse. And God sees after all the destruction. Once the punishment is rendered, once it's too late to not do it, once God really sees the death and destruction, there's a moment at which the text doesn't say God is ashamed, but maybe there was a little bit of feeling ashamed or certainly wondering, what have I done? What have I done? 
that you have maybe asked that question of yourself. I've asked it of myself. What have I done? I think especially there's a, a week, and I don't want to turn this into personal confession time, but last September, around the week of, of September 11th, for whatever reason, last year was really more difficult for me than it usually is around that anniversary. I was in the New York uh, on September 11th, so that is always with me. There was just something about that week that made it worse. And I don't know what was going on, but and, and also that week my car broke down and, and had some other stuff that wasn't even related to the September 11th anniversary. It was just having a horrible, bad week. And not feeling so good, I, I was sending messages to Yuki, my partner in, in Japan, looking for some sympathy, some support, just to say, I'm praying for you, I'm holding you in my thoughts, whatever. And I didn't hear back from her for days. For days. And then finally, on the night of September 11th, late at night, and one should never write notes when you're really angry. It is not the best time to try to be in dialogue with someone. So I was really angry. It just everything came and exploded, and I sent Yuki a note. And it wasn't a long note, but it, was, uh, it contained sufficient information. Very mean, mean-spirited, nasty. And she did call me back. She called me soon after she received it. And really, all, all our conversation was was me just kind of yelling at her and dismissing her and hanging up. And I turned off my phone, turned off the computer so she couldn't respond back to me. And it felt so good. So just in that moment of, of anger, and I was so justified in everything I said. I was so right in everything I did because she was the miserable, sinful, evil, wicked people and I was the righteous, perfect God who was being insulted, who was having indignities heaped upon me and I totally won. I won in that moment. I was so triumphant, so proud of myself. I had, I had won. But if you've been there, you know, you don't win. You don't win. That is not a win. And when I woke up the next day and I turned my electronics back on, I had some emails from her. And by rights of my rage, her emails should have been full of apology and contrition. By rights of my rage, that's what it should have been. But they weren't filled with that. They were filled with her story, of her struggles as well that week things that had gone on in her life. They were actually very compassionate, way more compassionate than I deserved. And I saw that she was not being the unsupportive, intentionally hurtful, wicked enemy of all that is good. That was me. I was the one being that. And I've done things in my past. I've been a person at times I'm not proud of. I don't think any of us escaped those moments of failure. That's just part of being a human. And the gift and the beauty of grace and love is that they don't come to us because we're perfect and they don't wait to come to us until we're perfect. We have them because 
We're faulty human beings that make mistakes, that do things we know we shouldn't, but we do them anyway. That's the gift of grace and God's love, that it comes to us anyway. So that night, I don't know that I've ever been a more horrible person than I was that night. That's, I look back on my life and I think, that, that was probably my lowest point that evening. And the irony is that it felt so right at the time. I felt so justified at the time. I don't think I've ever been that mean or unreasonable. And I looked upon the destruction I had wrought that next morning after I got the notes from Yuki. I looked at the destruction that I wrought and I thought, my God, what have I done? What have I done? And I was transformed. There was a moment of transformation in the repentance, realizing just what a jerk I had been. And I think there is also in this Noah's Ark story a moment that God repents. God looks upon what God had created out of love, the world and everything on it, all created out of love and then destroyed in anger. And God says, never again. I will never do this again. And creates that covenant with Noah and with the rest of humanity and with all living things not to do that again. And I wonder if God had a moment in all of this where God thought, after all this destruction, does you know, if Noah and his family never want anything to do with me again, I get it. They would be totally justified to want nothing to do with me again. And there's also another transformation that we see between the Genesis and the gospel. Another transformation that takes place in the biblical epic about the use of water. The use of water, which is water which is essential for life, at least for life here on earth. Water out of which our ancestors billions of years ago crawled out of, crawled onto land for the first time. We have water used here. God sees humanity's sinfulness and uses water to kill all but a few of them and billions of animals in collateral damage, cleansing the earth of evil. But of course, it didn't cleanse the earth of evil because Noah and his family are still human beings. They still make mistakes. That kind of destructive power doesn't work. There is no power in violence. And so God makes a new kind of cleansing by water, not to destroy life, but to grant life. Baptism. The waters of baptism were flooded not by the suffocating power of water, but flooded with grace and love, cleaned by the water. God says, I'm not going to wipe you out. I'm going to clean you of your guilt, your shame, whatever. I'm going to clean you. God, who had stood at a distance and tried to destroy everything, now comes to us as Jesus. Comes to us as Jesus. Comes into our brokenness, into our pain. Came as Jesus, 
was tempted, understands temptation, knows our human lot, came to live our story, to hear our story with a tender heart and with a tender hand reaching out with cleansing waters on them to touch our forehead and say, you are my beloved. You are my beloved just as you are. No more floods, no more destruction, just this covenant of the rainbow, this covenant of baptism, of hope and life and the transforming power of love. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.